So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Lovely. Right, now we're going. Okay, it's very late in the evening. Really? Nine o'clock? I haven't had dinner yet. I'm going to be grumpy. I'm just warning you ahead. I'm going to be grumpy. Do you want to get a little note bag now <laughs> to keep you going for the podcast? Unbelievable. <laughs> The number of times you call me when you're eating a frickin' sandwich, honestly. Clue. Carol. We have a new sponsor. Yes, we jolly well do. It's exciting, isn't it? It is, NetSparker. Do you know what they do? Yeah, I do. Okay, well, this is fun. Can you pretend that you don't know what they do so I can tell you? All right. What, okay. what, do, they do? what, do, what do NetSparker do, Carol? A bit more excitement. What did NetSparker do, Carol? They provide a web application security scanner. Oh, right. Okay. If you out there, our listeners, want to check your web applications for cross-site scripting, SQL injection, other vulnerabilities or coding errors, you need NetSparker. Download a demo from netsparker.com slash smashing. On with the show. Smashing Security, Episode 47, Kaspersky, AI, and a well-handled data breach, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Smashing Security, Episode 47, for the 12th of October 2017. My name is Graham Cluley, and I'm joined, as always, by my good chum and co-host, Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I made it back from Madrid, so that's great. Good. And, uh... Let's. We'll ask you about that in just a minute. What you've been up to over okay. there, All right, and we'll find out because. Well, no, because let's introduce the other chap, the guest on the podcast today, returning to the show is broadcaster extraordinaire David McClelland. Hello, David. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you very much. You know, there's an old saying in information security that you play the Smashing Security podcast twice in your career: once on the way up and once on the way down. <laughs> it's good to be back, everyone. Good to be back. I like it. So uh, what's everyone been up to this week? I've had a very exciting week and I can't wait to tell you. That's why I'm asking you what you've been up to. Okay. Well, I was in Madrid at the Virus Bulletin Conference. It was actually great. There was a lot of the old guard and a ton of new faces I've never okay. seen before. All right. So they're, they're talking about malware and stuff. I can tell you're going like, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Next, David, go. <laughs> I will be very quick. I've been getting older this week. It was my birthday last Friday. Oh, I know, I know, I know. And I, I, 
Everyone, everyone, David's birthday is now on Friday. Mm. We just have to work well, on Well, do you know what? I had and so many birthday well wishes, not only from the normal Facebook and Twitter and so on, but from LinkedIn as well. And, you know, LinkedIn's a very different sort of social network. Is it? Well, maybe it's changing yeah. with the whole Microsoft acquisition thing. But anyway, I got a lot of personal happy birthday things through LinkedIn and somebody, David Wright. Hello, David Wright, if you're <laughs> listening. Um, he did say, oh, brilliant. Now there's another way to crack some of your accounts. <laughs> High five, David. To which my retort was, well, frankly, most of the companies are giving away our data anyway and leaving their back doors open, so there's no blooming point in keeping it secure. And let's be honest, we're discussing this on LinkedIn. They got our passwords a few years ago, so they've probably been inside the accounts three or four times already as well. Oh, oh, Crow, I think, yes. (laughs) Graham, what did you do this week? Oh, yes, you were about to ask me. Well, I was speaking at IP Expo, which was lots of fun at the Excel Centre. What was really exciting for me was one of the other speakers was none other than Gary Kasparov. No way. Who is, of course... Who is that? Oh, come on, Carol. He, ca- Ga- <laughs> just kidding. Gary just Kasparov kidding. is the greatest chess player of all time, brackets, other than maybe Bobby Fischer. World champion okay. for many years. Um, mm-hmm. And he's currently an ambassador for a vast antivirus company. Um, so he was out there giving a talk about artificial intelligence or something like that hey that's my topic this week don't be all uh, well we could have maybe got him on because that that was my intention you see because not rather than david not rather than david obviously no 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 i mean in a a future episode so i saw that i was speaking obviously i knew i was speaking at this conference right but i also saw that gary was speaking at it and so i cheekily tweeted him saying i see gary kasparov is also speaking at ip expo who thinks i'll have the bottle to ask him to come on the you show. You basically fluttered your eyelashes at him over Twitter. Well, yeah. And do you know what? When I said, will I have the bottle? He replied saying, bottle of vodka. Oh. And I thought, get in there, Graham. Right? Right. Now, I don't drink. And you know so much about alcohol. Well, so, did you get him a Tesco bargain basement, $9.99? Well, it was about, it was about 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. So I raced down to Waitrose because I thought, we have to go quality here. Oh, yeah. classy, classy. And um, yeah. of course... For our American listeners, that's like our Whole Foods. So I got a bottle. I just chose one and I turned up and I'm standing next to Gary Kasparov, right? The next day. And this is brilliant, right? And I've got this in my little satchel. And so I say to him, Gary, Gary, remember the tweet from last night? I've got you some vodka. Well, And he, <laughs> and he looks at me and says, oh, I don't drink, actually. <gasps> oh, no. And I'm thinking. That's a bit jerky. Well, <laughs> It is. I'm sorry. I know he's the best chess player in the world, but come on. He could have just been polite and said, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, That's and then kind. pour it down the sink or something, couldn't he? Yeah, you're, or you're giving right. it to someone. Exactly. But I did get to play chess with him, um, and me and a few other people. Did you win? <laughs> did I win? <laughs> Look. How long did it take him to beat you? 20 minutes. Oh, that's quite He good. was playing six other people at the same time, so he was, go- he was flitting from board to board. But um, it was really cool. I can't believe I've been talking about this now for five minutes. Me neither, because but... I have to edit it. So <laughs> Anyway, can I say, one of the best things that's ever happened to me. He was a really nice guy. He wasn't that nice. <laughs> Sorry, Gary, but... <laughs> talking of Russians, this is my segue. Who might be nice or not nice... Have you seen the sticky situation that Kaspersky has got oh, itself I must, into? I'm, yeah, I was wondering if you were going to cover this. Right. Because th- this, this is one of the most interesting stories that's come out of the computer security industry for a while. I'm sure many of our listeners, most of our listeners are in America. 
And I, I guess you guys out there are going into your local sort of office depot. Do they say depot? Depot. depot. I don't know. <laughs> depot, do they say? Yeah. Uh, or best boys stores. Best buy, best boy. <laughs> I don't know. And you'll see this very strange sign. Mm-hmm. They're posted up inside office depot saying... Um, Software news about Kaspersky Total Security. Due to the recent news over Kaspersky Total Security software, we are providing free in-store software removal. You need to back this all up. So what's happening is they are saying we will take Kaspersky off your computers. We'll give you a free copy of McAfee uh, with a one-year license. And we'll do a virus scan of your PC to make sure there's nothing nasty on it. Ow, ouch, right? What's the big problem with Kaspersky? Well, there are lots of claims being made that Kaspersky is too close to the Kremlin. Even so far as that maybe Eugene Kaspersky, who's the founder of the company, is fond of meeting up with intelligence agents at the sauna. (laughs) Um, and and sharing communications and and all this sort of thing going on. And and this has been going around for, I don't know, maybe a year or two now, uh, these accusations. And there's been a lot of heat in America in particular. And the most recent claim has come from the Wall Street Journal, which has claimed that usage of Kaspersky software actually helped state-sponsored hackers steal NSA files from an NSA contractor's PC. What? They're basic... Right, so they're saying that yeah. there was a contractor, took files home with him, oh, a bit naughty. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put it on his home PC, tut tut. Stuff which he took home with him was details about how the NSA penetrates foreign computer networks, the code it uses for spying. What the heck was he thinking? Stuff that would have looked like a virus, and on his home computer, a piece of, I guess, Kaspersky anti-malware software would have picked it up and then done something with it. That's exactly what happened. So he's taken these tools and these, you know, malware, frankly, which the NSA has written, and surprise, surprise, Kaspersky, and it could have been an, any other mm. antivirus, presumably, has detected it, has sent it up into the cloud for detailed analysis. And the claim, which has come out from America, mm-hmm. is that this then fell into Russian Kremlin hands. And they're blaming Kaspersky. And Kaspersky is being blamed. And Kaspersky is having a really tough time of it right now because America is basically saying, you shouldn't use this in the Department of Defense. You shouldn't use this in government organizations. You shouldn't be using this now on your home computers as well. I read about this a little bit. I didn't see anything in my looking around, anything that kind of seemed like a direct tie with Kaspersky. Mm. Did you? Yeah. So the, the story, it, which has been published by the Wall Street Journal, um, is based upon anonymous reports. There's no evidence presented as such, but there is this steady drumbeat coming out of America that Kaspersky is trouble. And of course, it's very hard to defend yourself if there's no definitive reports. So if you look at this from the other way around, which I think is always worth doing, look at it from the American intelligence services point of view. From their point of view, there's a lot less risk banning one Russian antivirus company if there's the smallest chance that their software has been compromised or they're working in league with Russian intelligence. Their view is, why are you running that piece of software on all these mission-critical computers with the potential to take files and upload them to their cloud for analysis? Mm. 
But mind you, are they feeling the same about Chinese hardware and Chinese tech right. and even Chinese antivirus right. companies? Or yeah, I see that Eugene Kaspersky is due to providing his visa. I think gets approved. He's due to be heading over to the United States later this month to speak to Congress about this. This story, like you say, it's already escalating. But when we see Eugene Kaspersky, and he's a larger-than-life character, when we see him yes. in Congress directly, you know, batting away or trying to bat away these questions, I think that's going to be as close as this kind of cybersecurity comes to mainstream media. And uh, I, I personally can't wait to watch it. I'll be getting the popcorn out. <laughs> I think it's hard for me, probably for you too, Graham. We've been close to this a long time because we worked for a competitor. We met them at different trade shows. We know Eugene, you know, and we know the people that work yeah. there. We, there's a lot of smart people. And, you know, to kind of suddenly see this feels really odd. You know, it, sure, it could be true, but it could also be not true. And it's it's really hard to... They've offered to say, look, we'll open up our source code. You can examine the source code, which... I have to say, isn't a perfect answer. It, it's a good media answer because it sounds like they're being entirely yeah. open. But the way antivirus software actually works, it's very easy to include a new definition with new instructions. So even if you've seen the source code, it's still possible to send new commands to the yeah. software to act in different ways and maybe to identify point. a file of a particular type and upload it. So I can, I can see both both points of view here. But I have to say, I feel very sorry for Kaspersky because they're really being screwed over now in the American marketplace. And what I actually find quite distasteful is how some of the other security companies are responding to this. Taking advantage. Oh, unbelievably yeah. so. Now, I've just said that Office Depot, Depot. <laughs> Depot are offering a free copy of McAfee to everybody. Mm. McAfee has been running little uh, landing pages on its website, which say FBI advises removal of Kaspersky for suspected ties to Russian spies oh and gosh. trust us because we are, we're the true American antivirus company. And it's not good for the industry, this no. kind of thing. I would love to see more solidarity yeah. because it would be, of course, commercial suicide for Kaspersky, which is a very successful Russian company. If they were ever involved in something like this, mm. it would be utterly disastrous for them. But it feels to me like the disaster is beginning to happen to them. You know what? This is going to be a scary episode, man, because my topic's about as cheery as yours. <laughs> well, all I would say is all security companies do work with governments. Um, but it feels like now we're all beginning to turn on each other and the security companies are beginning yeah. to sort of take pot shots at each other to try and carve up this market. And that's not a good thing. Kaspersky himself says he's caught up in the middle of a geopolitical fight between Russia and the United States. And I hate to say it, but that sounds like it has more of a big ring of truth to me than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, what's the NSA doing allowing yet another contractor yeah. to take sensitive information out of the building? I mean, yeah. what's going on there? You know, yeah. come on, guys. Anyway, um, I'm sure there'll be more to more to come on this. And, and like you, David, I'm, I'm interested to see if Eugene does get his uh, moment in the spotlight and, and gets to testify in America. Mm. To be continued. I think we should go to the next subject, don't we? Don't you, Graham? Yes. Yes, David. What have you got for us? So, did a big company really just do data breach protection properly? 
This is the news that discuss the popular online commenting platform as used by lots of news websites and blogs and communities and so on. You know, we've got OK Magazine, Bloomberg, CNN have all used it in the past. Anyway, it has suffered a data breach. I know, another day, another data breach. Yeah, 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 yeah. This one happened in 2012, which by my reckoning, I don't know what you think, but 2012 was a bit of a purple patch for hackers. There seem to be a lot of data breaches reported yes. now that happened back in 2012. Maybe you have to report it after a certain amount of time. Well, I think a lot of them are just coming to light now, and that seems to be the case with this Discuss one. Um, and it looks as though it's a, a snapshot of the user database, whether that's a backup snapshot, I don't know. But um, look, the thing is, I, I mean, I, in one sense, I don't know if this is actually news anymore, because, you know, this is happening every single day. And it probably is news for the 17 and a half million Discuss users yeah. who's, yeah, I mean, 17 and a half million, um, about a third of those, six and a half million million or so had their weekly hash passwords um, made it out as well. But that's absolutely small fry in comparison to Yahoo, yeah. let's face it, which last week revealed that each and every one of its three billion user accounts yeah. was left yeah. completely wide open, which I work out as assuming everyone's got one account, that's about 40% of the world's population <laughs> or pretty much everybody on the internet. Yeah, so, but you know what? Well, I don't think we have to say, you know, discuss thing at 17.5 million. That's still huge just because we have this ginormous mountain now that's called Yahoo. One reason why this is really still interesting is that it's notable because it was handled... I think, and other people as well seem to think properly. So week after week, uh, particularly here on Smashing Security, you've covered how firms should not handle a data yes. disaster. I mean, uh, obviously we've had Deloitte recently. Yes. AA, the AA earlier this summer. Goodness me, what yep. a mess. What a mess that was. <laughs> but with Discuss, um, within 45 minutes of receiving notification of the breach, which was late on a Thursday afternoon, within okay. 45 minutes they said they were analysing the data to confirm its veracity because not all breach notifications are genuine, That's as we know. Fast. And then by the following day, they've started to contact users, reset affected passwords, and still within 24 hours of the initial notification, they've gone public to disclose the instance. Now, anyone would think that Discuss had done their homework, they had a run book and a well-rehearsed disaster plan. I know, that's crazy thinking. So... My question to you is, have we just witnessed a model of mishap management in action? Have they done it properly? Discuss. I, I think they've done a superb job. I've been really impressed by them. And I, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything that they've done wrong yet. They were incredibly quick, like you said. And they've also been extremely transparent. They've explained what information has been taken, how much information. Uh, they've described the hashing algorithm, which, yeah, isn't ideal, but it appears that um, shortly mm. after this incident, I think in the same year, they they upgraded their security and improved their uh, encryption um, to make it even stronger in future. And the other thing which impressed me is that if you go to Discuss's website, there you will see it right on the top of the page. It says there's been a security incident. Find out more here. Oh, that's yeah. So many companies try and shove it under the carpet, and I was mm. a bit disappointed actually. I saw a report in the Register. Yeah where they, I don't know if you saw this as well, David and Carol, but uh, there was a report where they were sort of saying, oh, here we go again, late on Friday, a company reporting a breach. And I thought, you know what? Wrong attitude. They only found out about this 24 hours before. I would rather they went public with it then yeah. than waited until the following week. 
Maybe he was upset because he had to stay late to cover it. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but uh, I think they I think they don't seem to have done a great job so far. Um, David, I what's interesting is I, you know, obviously in hounding uh, the web looking for stories and it didn't pop up in the top stories for me. So that's interesting in itself. It didn't probably attract as much attention as, say, other hacks where they've tried to hide it and it dribbles out over days and days and days. Did they apologize publicly? In that blog post that uh, went out, like I say, within 24 hours or so, they said, look, we're sorry, but we're doing everything we can to be transparent um, and, uh, you know, watch this space. Good for them. Yeah, and they actually said the word apologise. It's like, wow, you know, the lawyers didn't get in there to say, oh, you can't actually (laughs) accept any responsibility. And No, they did it. Mm -hmm. Isn't that great? That's how you build trust. That's how you build a good community and get people trusting you more in the future. I mean, obviously, no one would want a breach like this to happen. But it does smell to me of a company that had a plan. And when they when they were notified that this, you know, this chunk of data that looks suspicious has uh, has become available to them, they literally flicked the switch on that plan. And it meant that they weren't, scr- you know, running around like headless chickens wondering what to do and phoning up PRs and, you know, disaster agencies at whatever time. They knew exactly what they needed to do and they executed on it. So more data breaches like that, please. Data breaches are going to happen. We know that. So more of them like this. Yeah, and I I think what a big concern people have during these scenarios is, well, how can you predict or how can you plan for the unpredictable? We don't know what kind of breach we may have. But at the same time, what they've done is pretty basic, right? They've apologized. They're informing the public. They're telling them what to do right away. And they're doing it publicly and loudly on the front page. And I think everyone can follow that. Even if you don't know exactly what's going to happen, you can put together the basic scenarios, right? I, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I can tell you basically what's going to happen in the next no, episode. No, you couldn't. That, that is a lie. No, that is a no, lie. No, that girl will take her kit off. There'll be some <laughs> dragon action. You know, it's there'll be some unnecessary bonking. Uh, you know, there, there'll, be, there'll be certain things, you know, and sort of oh, moody talking like this by Sean Bean. Yeah, that's, that's dated how long ago I last watched it. But, you know, it's... But more or less, you can put together a scenario. So I think every company could consider what are our crown jewels what are the information that we need to protect what would we do if we lost control of it and then you do another disaster scenarios what happens when our website gets defaced Mm -hmm. what if someone steals all our info what if someone hacks our third party yeah exactly great (laughs) (laughs) anything else to say about discuss anymore uh, our discussion is over Crowell, what have you got for us? Okay, so I'm going to talk um, about artificial intelligence or AI. And I'm yeah. going to try and approach this a little bit in the style of the wonderful BBC Radio 4 from our own correspondent show. Have you ever heard it? Have you ever heard it? It's so yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Your Kate AD, effectively. Yeah, but you guys can just jump in anytime anyway. So maybe it's not like that. So <laughs> the question I want you guys to consider is the following. Is humanity f- Okay. AI is no longer an imaginary Asimov sci-fi prediction, right? It's everywhere right here, right now. We're immersed in the first year of AI, right? So they call it artificial narrow intelligence or ANI. And this Mm -hmm. is where a machine exceeds human intelligence or efficiency 
for a specific task or a set of tasks, right? Like, so like hoovering or providing search results or buying and selling shares or driving cars or even playing chess, Graham, even playing chess. (laughs) So the next tier called AGI or artificial general intelligence. And this is where the machine proves itself to be as smart as a human, right? It can perform any mental task that a human can. Now, this is way, 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 way harder than just being good at hoovering or kicking ass at chess, right? The AGI machine has to be good at everything, like abstract thinking or complex problem solving or (laughs) understanding Shakespearean sonnets, right? The AGI will need to adapt in order to compete with humans. And that means it will need to self-learn and we'll need to do that all without human intervention. Okay, so it sounds all huge and big and far away, but just wait. There's one more tier here probably the most disconcerting for most. This is called artificial superintelligence, or ASI. And this is kind of defined by AI dude Nick Bostrom as an intellect that is so much smarter than the best human brains, right? That In practically every field. So including scientific creativity, general wisdom, or social skills. Does this sound all sci-fi to you guys right now? Or are you- it sounds a bit sci-fi. I can't imagine one of these things writing beautiful poetry or making a the world's best sausage roll or something like that, which are probably the most important <laughs> things in my life. But you see, the whole thing, the secret sauce here, right, is the computational power. And today we have loads and loads of computational power, but it takes a lot of space, right? It takes a lot of power and takes a lot of cash. And it doesn't compare at all right now to the human brain. It doesn't even compare to a mouse's brain. But, you know, whether or not you agree with Moore's law, Computer chips are getting smaller and cheaper and more powerful all the time, right? It's at, you know, at a pretty impressive clip as well. So here's the big question. So unless you bake in security now, right? Not even, let's not even talk about human value systems and all that kind of stuff. How do we plan to control a machine that is effectively omniscient, right? It's going to have more power than we do, be smarter than us. And how are we planning to coexist with that? I mean, think about how we coexist with things like ants, right? We don't have a problem with them, but if they get in our way, we have no problem getting the roundup <laughs> and getting rid of them. So there's, there's, so there's two sides to this. On one side, you've got popular technologists and thinkers like Elon Musk and uh, Nick Bostrom, who mentioned earlier, there's Sam Harris, Stephen Hawking, and they're all these guys who've kind of voiced a version of, hey, guys, take heed when it comes to ASIs, right? And particularly when it comes to AI weaponry. Um, in fact, one of the main drivers behind Elon Musk's wish to colonize Mars is, you know, to have a bolt hold if artificial intelligence goes rogue and turns on humanity. Where, where's our bolt hole from Elon Musk? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you can just stay here, I guess. He's, he's oh, okay. going to be, go he'll be gone. Unless he can clone himself before that. Okay. The distant future, the distant future. It is the distant future, the year 2000. Um, but the flip side of this argument is people, you know, there's a lot of equally powerful groups out there that say this, you know, this all sounds like sci-fi fantasy, right? Like more 2001 Space Odyssey or Ex Machina or Star Wars than reality. So... I don't know where it all sits. You know, you've got people like Google and Microsoft and the rest of them all working on super AI or super intelligent AI. They're all trying to race to be the first out. And are they taking the whole problem of how do we coexist? This is all a bit deep for Smashing Security Is it? Is it a bit deep? (laughs) Have I lost you? Finally, robotic beings rule the world. (laughs) Yes, let's be honest. But I'm, I'm so a bit. So what they're doing is they're, they're thinking, they're building sort of general purpose artificial intelligence. Because I thought normally what happens is that things are being programmed for very specific sort of purposes, and it's like, oh, you. 
Yes, and that's what's happening right now. Absolutely. So there's right. right now we're doing machines that do one or a few tasks really, really well, and they can learn and improve at that specific task or set of tasks. So they're sort of at the Kindle level. So a Kindle, really good for reading books. Right. But then, of course, people want iPads, which can do just about everything. That's what a sweet analogy. Yes, exactly. You want something to do more and faster. Right. Exactly. Hmm. On one side, I was thinking, God, don't these guys, you know, care about this? And I've been reading about and then just last week, Google announced that it established a kind of unit dedicated to answering questions about the effect technology might have in the way we live. And of course, they're not the first at this. In 2015, Elon Musk started a nonprofit called OpenAI with, you know, with the public mission to build safe AGI. So I don't know. I'm just thinking we need regulations, right? Like we need regulations here. Otherwise, we're f***ing. Well, re- regulation isn't going to work, though, because anyone could set up their own little evil supercomputer mm. to do all these things and think all these things, couldn't they, if, if they wanted to? Um, it, it's, it all sound. I, I hate sounding a curmudgeon on this podcast. But I don't know. It, it does sort of worry me a little bit, I think, that maybe we're allowing computers and technology to do too much and we become sort of redundant. Yeah. Would we at some point listen to podcasts being broadcast by Uber computers mm. chatting you know to each other? Mm. Well, it's actually that now it's beginning to sound good, to be honest. We <laughs> no. could have that. <laughs> I'm fortunate in as much, or, well, maybe unfortunate, I don't know, but I've interviewed a, a lot of futurists, a lot of people with incredibly big brains who've um, mused on what the future may look like, particularly in a world of artificial intelligence. And um, a couple of things you said, Carol, just made me think of uh, an interview I did last year with a guy called Kevin Kelly, who mm-hmm. was the uh, co, um, co-founder of Wired magazine. And he wrote a book called The Inevitable, mm. which uh, which he published last year. Well worth a read um, or, or a listen to. It's available as an audio book as well. And he talks a lot about AI, but you mentioned Google there. Um, he talks about a conversation he had with Larry Page back in 2002. So really, really early days of Google. Yeah, and he was yeah. saying, you know, so, you know, what's this? Um, you know, he was quite sceptical about Google's business model. He <laughs> says, you know, so what's this free web search model all about? Tell us about that. And Larry, even back in 2002, said, oh, well, actually, we're making an AI. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing back yeah. then. And uh, Kevin Kelly makes a prediction that by 2026, Google's main product won't be search, but it will be AI. And when you think about it, you know, we are contributing enormously to the brains of these computers. Yes. When we search for something on Whichever search engine it is, you know, if we're searching for pencils, if we're searching for chess grandmasters or whatever it is, it comes back with a number of answers. And then we're the ones that refine that and select the right one. And we're doing that millions and millions of times every second. So if these computers, if these artificial intelligences, whether they're general, whether they're narrow, whatever they are, we are the ones that are feeding them with a brain power in order to, you know, maybe one day not only rub shoulders with us, but barges out of the way. I think, you know, it's not when, but if. When AI reaches the ability to self-teach and learn at speeds way beyond our human comprehension, you know, what's going to happen to us? And the way I see it, at best, we're going to be reduced to like cuddly, curious pets, like we treat our own little animals, or at worst, we're going to be seen as pests that need controlling or removal. I think that the thing that many of these big brains tend to say is that machine intelligence is different to human intelligence. Machines, they can't see that they will ever... Yeah, no values. Well, yeah, that as well. But... (laughs) 
and they won't be able to be as creative as us humans are. Now, whether that's a defence mechanism and that's the only way that they can rationalise it in their heads, I don't know. But it is a bit scary when you let yourself think that far in the future. And like like you guys, I really don't know what's around the corner in that respect. <sighs> Crikey. What? <laughs> <laughs> Has anyone seen the new Blade Runner yet? Let's, I mean, let's speak about fun things about the future. Oh, I've got no. I've got tickets to go and see it at the BFI IMAX in London. How is that not your pick of the week? Uh, but because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> okay, that's good. Fair, fair. Yeah. I'm glad. But yes. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> even though it is two and three quarter hours long, which is oh, that's oh who cares? It could be the best. Yeah, Just buy so. an extra big thing of popcorn. <laughs> you know, a mega gulp. I'd be asleep in 20 minutes, I know. If there's CGI in it, I'm a goner. I don't think you've ever stayed up through a whole movie. I don't believe you've ever managed it, ever. It doesn't matter what the topic is. One thing that I always find absolutely riveting, however, Carol, is to hear about our latest sponsor. Bling! This episode of Smashing Security is supported in part by NetSparker. NetSparker is a web application security scanner that can automatically find security flaws in your website and fix them before hackers can exploit them. Try it now by downloading a demo from www.netsparker.com forward slash smashing. On with the show. And welcome back to the show. It's time for Pick of the Week. So Pick of the Week is the part of the show where we choose something that we like, something that's tickled our fancy over the last week. It could be a funny story, a book, a a video that we've seen, a TV show, a movie, a record, an app, a website, a podcast, whatever. Um, It doesn't have to be security related. Should not be. be. Um, Can be, though. (laughs) Keep goading me. Keep goading me. It can be. (laughs) (laughs) So my Pick of the Week, I I went through a few different choices. (laughs) Were they boring? Do you not have no, one? No, they were all fantastic. You there can was... skip. We've heard you a lot this show. <laughs> there, was... <laughs> there was the um, bad lip reading. The Yoda bad lip reading uh, Empire Strikes Back video where he sings a song about seagulls. And I have been watching that quite a lot today. I've been quite enjoying that. What, the, over and yes. over again? Well, actually, what someone did was they took the song and they looped it and they uploaded a video of it for an hour. So you can have it playing constantly in the background while you're working. So that's what I was listening to. Uh, okay, you were. Okay, I see how you covered yourself because <laughs> I did call you the day and you're like, sorry, can't talk too busy. And now I find out it was you're watching I wasn't Seagulls watching it. I was just playing it in the background because I was enjoying the yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, it's good. yeah. It's no. great. My pick of the week this week <laughs> is... And he'll be very excited to hear this, I hope. Mr. David Stranach, InfoSec student at Royal Holloway, University of London. Yippee! And basically, as you remember, last week we went on the scrounge and we told everyone, go and spread the word about smashing security. Yes, we did. Well, David's done exactly that. Oh! He has been spreading the, the love for smashing security at Royal Holloway, telling all of his fellow postgrad information security students that we are a must-listen. So far, six colleagues have come back and told him they're loving the show. That's brilliant. I don't know how many came back and told him they weren't loving the show. <laughs> we don't need to know that. We don't need to know that. Won't be good for our ego. No, it's probably like 30 people on the course, but six of them came back. All right, okay. And then he do- then he tries to scrounge some swag off us, because, of course, you can go to smashingsecurity.com slash store and buy T-shirts and things. Now, I don't really want to give any swag to David, because I think we can do better than that. So if anyone else wants to say that they've done a lot better at spreading the word, 
Maybe you are freaking outrageous. Are you seriously doing this? And you're going to use them to leverage more love. Well, well, look, he's done six. There's always an opportunity for him to increase the number, right? Basically. Wow. This is how L. Ron Hubbard started, all right? If we're going to monetize this... <laughs> Stand down, Mr. Cluley. Stand down, Mr. Greedy Guts. Jeez. Well done, David. Thank you. What, what I will say is that on that David Stranach post on the uh, on your Facebook page, uh, a guy called Steve Galloway, uh, trying to trying to one-up David Stranach, said, I threw my phone at someone while the podcast was playing. Does that help? <laughs> And purely... (laughs) Okay, that's made my night. I really need to go on Facebook more if it's that funny. (laughs) And purely in terms of engagement, that comment by Steve got five thumbs up versus David Stranach's four thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so physical violence with the podcast appears to be more popular. So there's an encouragement for you. See what you can do next. Now, other David, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week? Well, if you can choose a person, then so can I. I'm going with a guy, and in particular a video from a guy called Nigel Stanford. Now, he's a New Zealand-based musician, composer, entrepreneur, and scientist, I guess. Now, if you haven't heard of his name, you may have heard of some of his music, particularly if you saw that Timescapes film on the internet a few years ago with those jaw-dropping, incredible slow motions and time lapses. He was the one who made the music, and I think that was the first ever film that was sold in 4K. And you may have come across Nigel with his last album, which... um had a lead track called Cymatics, just the 14 million views on YouTube with that. And as with all of his work, it's about science versus music. And in that one, it's about vibration, sound waves, a Tesla oscillator machine thrown in. I mean, seriously, everybody who's doing physics at school or university should ne- it needs to watch this. David, yeah. is it wanky? Is it wanky? No, it's amazing. It's amazing. Seriously. But I'm building up to his latest video, which is called Automatica. And uh, it's the video for um, the title track of his latest album, where he's got a room full of industrial robots playing the instruments. It is a visual delight. Musically, it's a strong. And I urge you for both of those to watch the making of films as well. Seriously, I was watching this with my seven-year-old daughter earlier this evening, and uh, she was was gobsmacked. I'm watching watching it right now. It's very cool. So he's got these robots, which are similar sort of robots that you'd see on a car construction line. And they're playing the drums, or they're doing, is it called scratching with the records? Go, wick, 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 wick. Exactly, they're doing the bass guitar and he's teaching them how to do it. You see a little bit of the software in there and then what do you know, in the last minute or so, the machines go rogue and they start tearing down the joint. (laughs) (laughs) It's a warning. Very cool. And Crow, what's your pick of the week? Well... Okay, everyone's going to think all I do all, all day and all night is watch TV. Oh, okay? what, another <laughs> series you're going to tell us to binge on? <laughs> yes, but I am that convinced how right. awesome it is based on the few episodes I've watched. It is called Comrade Detective, and it's available on Jeffy's streaming services, uh, Amazon Prime. <laughs> so Comrade Detective parodies communist propaganda with U.S. action cop buddy dramas. Okay, think 1980s. Think American swagger as they combat the great enemy of the state, capitalism. Now, the whole gimmick of the show is that in concept, it pretends to be a lost fictional Romanian (laughs) propaganda TV show. But in fact, 
In fact, it was written in the West, the scripts were sent to Romania for filming with local actors, and then the whole thing was sent back to the States to be oh. dubbed into English. <laughs> it is very, very cool. It is super wonderful. The lines in it are brilliant. Like, there's lines like, um, of course, the police officer will never be contrary. It's always right. So it's brilliant. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 86%. I give it 90%. As an homage to Good God with God, I watched it. I loved it. Check it out. Wow. And what's the name of this again? Comrade Detective. Comrade Detective. Right. I think it started in late August, early August on Amazon Prime. Wow. Okay. Anyway, I think it's it awesome. Sounds- Absolutely bonkers. All right. Well, thank you very much, Carol, for that pick of the week. And thank you as well, David, for joining us uh, on the show today. If anyone wants to follow you online, David, where's the best place to do that? Probably on Twitter at David McClelland. It's a bit of a pain to spell, so find it in the show notes. (laughs) Thanks, Mum and Dad. Thank you for that. (laughs) I don't think it's the David bit. <laughs> oh, no, on this point, seriously, I've got a lot to thank my mum and dad for. In particular, my collection of middle names. I've got five names in total. Whoa. So, yeah, thanks a lot, mum and dad. <laughs> well, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Smash Insecurity. Without a G, Twitter didn't allow us to have the extra character, Annoyingly. which is rather annoying. Um, also, we're on Facebook, as Crow was saying, and maybe in Crow will show up there at some point. Smashinsecurity.com slash Facebook will take you to our Smash Insecurity group up there. And we've got swag, as I mentioned, at Smashinsecurity.com slash store. And that just about wraps it up. Uh, thank you very much, David, for joining us. Thank you, Carol, as well, of course. And thank you for listening. Uh, If you know someone who might like the podcast, do go and tell them about it or visit our website um, and you can point them to all of our past episodes there as well. Or you can have a week off and just put your feet up, enjoy the show, and we're glad you're here. Yeah, but they won't be beating David Stanek from Royal Holloway if they do that, Carol. Will they? Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Toodles. Bye-bye. Look, last time I was on the show, I think... You were so filthy. Well, exactly, but it got a parental advisory thing, didn't it? Which is great. I forced you to do an extra recording. I'm disappointed that there's no smuttiness this time round. Well, we were so smutty last week. I know, I know. There was mention of wanky from Carol. Oh, yeah. uh, Yeah, there was a bit of potty mouth. I pulled out the potty mouth sword. (laughs) I slashed it around. Not anyone else did. You guys were just all very polite. There were no IoT vibrators or penis biometrics. This, this what was the shame? Try and bounce it up next week and, and get some more smut in.